Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we talk about all things mental health and parenting. After you're done listening today, please rate, review, and subscribe. Reviews are everything. Today, I am really thrilled to have on the great Dr. Michelle Borba, who is an educational psychologist, best-selling author of many books, most notably Unselfie, and she is a Today Show contributor who has spoken to over 1 million participants on five continents. And she talks about child development in countless interviews online and in the media. She blends 40 years of teaching and consulting with the latest science to offer sound, realistic advice to parents, teachers, and child advocates about helping children thrive. Dr. Borba's latest book, is an urgently needed guide to address the staggering increase in anxiety, stress, and emptiness for children in ages preschool through high school. She explains why the old markers of accomplishments, such as grades and test scores, are no longer reliable predictors of success in the 21st century. And in this book, Thrivers, she offers seven teachable traits that will safeguard our kids for the future. Those essential character strengths she's gonna talk about here in just a minute. Welcome, Dr. Borba. Oh, thank you so much. I can't wait to talk about it. It's so, so crucial, particularly right now. It is. So it's funny, when I started reading the book, it was it, it was funny to me that just from the get-go, before even chapter one, I already have two questions. And um, there's just the second you open up this book, it's rich with information. So let me start with asking you this right off the bat. So before the book even begins, you have a note to the reader. And I don't know if everybody always reads the note to the reader, but I read it and it says in part, the three-part organizational format in Thrivers of heart, mind, and will is based on the ancient work of Greek philosophers and Aristotle who wrote, educating the mind without educating the heart is no education at all. I agree with that wholeheartedly. So start off by telling us what speaks to you about that quote. What speaks to me is that we've sort of truncated the child into the cognitive hype. It's all about the GPA and that's the mental. And so that's wonderful. But in the process, what we do is kind of vaporized and forgotten the other pieces, the heart, the spirit, the will. And that's what creates the whole child. And uh, one step more on that, Aristotle nailed it because what we're now looking at prior to the pandemic was an unprecedented rise in stress and anxiety amongst our kids. I started to do a cross-country tour of interviewing 100 kids about what is creating this unprecedented rise in stress. All of them said we're the most stressed out generation there is, you know. I said, so why? And they said, we're running on empty, but it seems like we're being raised as being products and people are forgetting our human sides that's when I said, okay, let's delve in and let's start figuring out how to raise the whole kid so they thrive not only in the classroom, but also in life. I love that. I think this message is needed now more than ever. So before the even, even the introduction begins, you write, running on empty, we're raising a generation of strivers, not thrivers. So talk to me about what you mean when you say that our kids are in trouble, that you're so concerned and why do you think kids are hurting so much today? 
Well, I think the first thing is we're looking at scientific evidence that is saying we have problems in River City right here in our own neighborhoods. I started this by looking, oh, I got a phone call from a person in Arizona that said we're living in a suicide belt. In the last two years, 40 kids have killed themselves in a in a 20 mile radius. That alone was, oh my gosh, push the pause button. Then I looked over what was happening in Palo Alto. Palo Alto in a very affluent area, literally parents are now on train watch duty to guard the train tracks so their kids aren't throwing themselves in front of a train. So this isn't just what the CDC is saying, one in five kids will have a mental health disorder is what they're telling us, but it says something is really amiss. And then came the pandemic and a crisis only amplifies pre-existing issues. So the first thing is we got to hit a reset button. And that is we do make a difference in how our kids turn out. Thrivers, by the way, are made, not born. When I started combing the research on what can we do that's better, the big myth was resilience is locked into DNA or IQ, or it's one program and one trait. And so when I looked at longitudinal studies, and wow, there are phenomenal ones that have been going on for quite a while, that look at kids who make it despite adversity, what I began to see is that there's some commonalities of seven traits. Now, it isn't that there's a scaffold of one matters more than another. But if you start teaching some of these, what happens is each one is what I create a multiplier effect. It multiplies the impact of the other. And so the kid has a stronger and stronger ability to thrive. I think we've been tailoring into a couple of these, but not the whole package. And so kids are strivers, they get there, but then when push comes to shove, they don't make it to the whole nine yards where a thriver goes, I got this and keeps on going. Yeah, I feel like thrivers these days are unique and rare. Like when I meet a kid who, you know, to use your words, is is in the thriver category, they stand out to me because uh, I think it they are standouts. It's unique. So I'm sure people listening right now really want to know what are these seven <laughs> essential character traits and what are, so tell us what they are and what are some simple actionable steps that parents can take toward actually teaching their kids this of any age? Oh, well, first of all, every single one of them is teachable. And second of all, I got to do a footnote of why did I choose those seven? First, they're highly correlated to resilience. That had to be. Number two, they're also highly correlated to reduce mental health problems. So they reduce stress. But in addition, for any parent who goes, but what about the classroom? They're also highly correlated to peak performance in the classroom as well as out. And there's also one little other giveaway that's wonderful. They're also 21st century skills that the Global Economic Summit says are going to help your kid be more likely to be employed. So you put all the package together. Ears is what you need for the new parenting framework. It starts with confidence or self-awareness or self-knowledge of who I am. A thriver thinks who, not what. Not what my parent wants me to be, but really the strength of just my, my natural sense of who I am. So maybe the first step of all of that as a parent Start looking a little closer at this glorious kid of yours and say, what, what does he gravitate towards? Not Fortnite, but what are his other interests that he seems to have? It's a little more passion that when he starts to go push comes to shove, he gravitates towards the books or music, or he really gets upset when the soccer class isn't there. What's his tone of his more excitement? Uh, his learning style. Is he a visual learner, an audio learner? Simply in life, if you know that, that's your framework for the rest of your life with that particular kid. Thrivers, I think if there's one thing that every parent says is the best part of the book, it's a core asset survey. 
Just take a moment and figure out who your child is or take a three by five card and walk around and start watching who this child, what he loves, what he's more interested in, what he gets more energized in and carve in time for him to start doing those activities. What the teens told me is we don't have time to do those. We don't have time for hobbies or Emmy Werner and all the resilience theory says, but that's what your kid will rely on when he is really stressed. He knows what's going to help him activate up his heart. So that's the first self-confidence, pretty darn easy, but we seem to be more in fix-it mentality, focusing on the kid's weakness as opposed to their strength. So that first foundation starts to go. Oh my gosh. I love everything you just said. Um, I'm curious. I'm curious if you have opinions about this, but what do you think that, you know, this year SATs, right, for college Mm -hmm. admission um, in a lot of universities is optional. What do you think, if we kept up with that trend, what outcomes do you think that could have on children? Oh, there goes the anxiety because every kid said, I'm so stressed out about those test scores. Now, GPA seems to be a higher correlation of who does well, not only now, but later, because it's a kid who's got more of the perseverance. Test scores seem to be, now most colleges, Ivy League schools, Harvard is even saying, I think we got this one wrong. So if we start to refocus, it'll help our kids know, no, you've got to work hard. That's part of it. We'll help you learn how to focus. We'll help you look at what you like to do, but your whole life isn't going to be contingent on that SAT score. Great. I'm so happy to hear you say that because I haven't asked anybody what they thought, but I've been seeing the shift already in the yeah. juniors and seniors that I'm working with in that they're they're like, they have the smile on their face, like, oh, it's test optional, yeah. right? It's such yeah. a relief. Yeah. I think it just takes that whole thing. Uh, the number one pressure that every kid said was those test scores. But the the second thing they said was, The number two pressure is, I don't want to let my parents down. I think the first thing we've got to do is realize, man, are we powerful in terms of that one? So self-confidence starts with it, and then comes the other six. You figure out which one your kid needs, but I'm going to tell you that number two is empathy. That's tanking with our kid. Social relationships seem to be core to mental health. We finally realized it with the social distancing and the loneliness that too can be cultivated. If your child is still doing distance learning, then every single time he's on that that phone, make sure it's a visual screen and not just texting because the texting seems to be not helping our kids being able to relate with one another, not learning feelings with one another, not able to read emotions with one another. The simple other one that we forget is one of the greatest ways to build empathy in kids is reading emotional charged literary fiction. That's going to help your child learn the feelings, but also help him decompress. I don't care if it's Wonder or To Kill a Mockingbird or if it's uh, Grapes of Wrath, whatever it is, literary fiction is wonderful on boosting empathy. There's dozens of other ways in that chapter, but I think we've overlooked the how critical people are. You can also set up play dates with your kids, but make them regular and make it be regular on Zoom one of the things that some parents are doing, which I love, is regular connection with your friend. But during that time, you're going to do hobbies together. So great aunt Sally is going to get on and teach you guys how to knit because that's what you also wanted to learn. Or grandma's going to teach you how to bake because that's what you wanted to learn. How cool is that? Win-win for moms as Dell. So it's like, 
third one is self-control. Kids who are thrivers learn how to take keep the brakes on impulses so they don't go barreling ahead. I mean, that's the one we need right now. What teens are telling me is give us a repertoire of ways to keep our stress down. Make it be stuff that works for us. The top one, if we could do anything, the top two takeaways this week, walk around the house and help each family member identify what their stress signs are. Because we're waiting to the kids in exorcism mode until they figure out, oh, I got to take a deep breath. So maybe each child, you know, Johnny over there, his hands are in a fist. Sally over there looks like her, her, her breath is going up and down. Sally, Johnny so looks like he starts to get irritable and grinds his teeth. How wonderful that is for kids to know their warning signs. That is then so they good. Take the slow deep breath. Yeah. You know what this is reminding me of when I read on selfie, you had ideas in there, lots of ideas in there. And many of them I hadn't heard before. And even today, I talk about a lot of the same things you are, but these are not things that I've talked about or that I read about a lot. So I think you have this wealth of tangible information Thank for you. people to start now. Like I'm going to do that with my family this afternoon. That, that's exactly what we have to do. My goal is go through Thrivers. There's 300 ideas. By the way, many of those ideas had to have the gold seal of approval by a kid. Yep, that one seems to work. And none of them call it, take a PhD or a fancy tutor or a program. They're easy. But your goal as a parent is to figure out which one does my kid need or our family need. Instead of isolating, that's the kid who's got the problem. How much better to do it? The, the, for instance, Navy SEAL told me the fastest way to calm down is a one-two breath. Teach it to your kids, they said. It's amazing what it does for us. So the moment the stress comes in, you take a slow, deep breath from your abdomen. Or little kids, you put a beanbag, fly on the floor, and take, put a beanbag so your tummy goes up and down. Don't do it too fast, or it gets the, the turtle scared, the beanbag turtle. But for bigger kids, it's ride up an escalator, then hold it. But Navy SEAL said the trick is exhale very slowly. So the exhale is twice as long as the inhale. It's the fastest way to relax. Does it work the first time? Absolutely not but keep doing it over and over again so it becomes a habit. All your kids will learn that habit and now they can thrive without you. That's our goal mine and that's what we're trying to do as a parent. I love that, thrive without you because I do think that we are way too much of our child's regulators. Yeah. Um, and right now, many, many parents are dysregulated themselves. So it's hard, to, it's hard for them to see the cyclical pattern that's happening you know, in the family. When everybody's stressed out. You know what? And that is number two on the APA saying, what is the most highly correlated traits of effective parenting? Number one is you love your kid. Okay, number one, we all got that one. Number two is you're less stressed as a parent. Because if you don't have to figure out how to manage your own stress, it mirrors down and spills over to the kids. And that's why we're all having problems. So the simple answer is find one of the strategies and thrivers and start practicing it yourself then teach it to your kids because it'll help you learn it. Now your whole family will be seeing it and you're going to be learning it much faster. That's the greatest way to learn a new skill. Absolutely. I love that. I have a question for you about yeah. um, the self-control. I mean, when I was in a very long time ago, you know, in Psych 101, I feel like we learned about, you know, the marshmallow test. Yeah, I, I like people to know that this kind of research that you're talking about, these are things that have been around for 
decades. This is yep. not new, right? Exactly. What we've been doing, though, thank you for bringing that up, is failing to use our parenting matching the science. So we don't get the results we, we hope for. It gets us into struggle mode. It gets us into that won't work mode. So what I wanted to do was find out what's the simplest things that for centuries long are still being replicated and still being proven to be effective with longitudinal studies with thousands, thousands of kids so we can duplicate them ourselves with our kids. I love that. I Because I did realize I felt like when I was reading your list and reading the book, I thought people have to know this isn't what you're doing is new in terms of you're making it so tangible, so easily relatable to our yeah. kids today. However, everything you're drawing from is like you said, decades or hundreds of years old. We know this works if we can just yeah. do it and do it consistently. Yeah, I think we've gotten outdated parenting plans and a lot of the parenting stuff we've been given doesn't match the science. And so it's really not fair to us nor to our kids. Yeah, I love that. Okay, keep telling us more about these essential <laughs> well, character traits. Number four is integrity. And everybody goes, how the heck and why did you put that in there? I was amazed at how highly correlated integrity is to a thriver. The reason is when push comes to shove and a kid goes against a, a problem, he knows deep down what he stands for. And so he doesn't have to stress it out so much. He goes, that's who I am. And as a result, he forges through and keeps on going. Where a striver has to sit there and struggle with, which should I do that? Should I do this? And when it comes to integrity, it's sort of lying low in everybody's agenda these days because frankly, the adults have been behaving very, very badly. As a result, what that has to do, the fastest way to learn integrity is to watch somebody do it right. So, so when you gonna, say teach yeah. a child integrity, because for me, integrity has always been, yes, yeah, so I have like, that's one of my, you know, top qualities, right? That I care about personally yep. that I'm trying to teach. Yep. And sometimes I feel like it feels like a whole bunch of role modeling. And I'm like, should I, do I trust this? Is this working? Yeah. How do you know when this is working? Right. So yep. are there other things besides modeling, which I get it, right? You yep. have to model integrity, but other ideas that you have to really yep, teach there are integrity? Dozens of them. The simplest one uh, that I would say everybody can do tonight is uh, one girl said, all the teachers said, you've got to interview that kid. She is the, clearly the kid who's got the best moral code of anybody we've ever, ever had in our school. She's graduated. Go find out how she became that way. So I said, okay, Marilyn, how the heck do you become that way? She laughed and said, it was how I was raised. I said, okay, how were you raised? She said, when I was six, this is what my parents did for me and my two younger brothers. They had us go into the family room. There was all this chart paper and marking pens on the floor. Dad said, sit down, have some popcorn. We're going to figure out what kind of family we want to be remembered for. And on the spot, what we did, he said, there's no right answers, but we're going to brainstorm. What do we want to be remembered for? On the spot, mom started copying everything we said, like caring and kind and respectful and honest and blah, 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 blah. And then dad said, okay, we got a lot. We can't be them all. What's the most important that we all agree upon? We chose caring. And now part two, we be use that as our mantra. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, our last name is Perlin. We became the caring Perlins. I said, okay, that's pretty simple. How'd you remember it? Now here's the gold mine. She said, 
She laughed and said it was impossible not to. My mother must have said it 50 times a day. Remember where the caring Perlins. She dropped us off at school. Remember where the caring Perlins. When she disciplined us, remember where the caring Perlins. What are you going to do differently? She said it so much we became it. Now, that's like incredible because now what you can do is immediately do that in your own home. I find that a lot of parents don't take a moment to say who you are and what you stand for. The three most highly correlated traits, we know this from a book called The Altruistic Personality. Samuel Oliner is a godsend. He was rescued by a perfect stranger during the Holocaust. His family all went to a death camp and died. Why did Bowinda, he wants to know, become such a person of integrity? So he went and interviewed 2,500 rescuers during World War II to figure out how they became that way. And every one of them said it was how I was raised. So he said, okay, how you were raised, three things kept coming up and here's the framework for parenting. Number one, you already said it. I saw my dad, he was always kind. Or I saw my mom, she always modeled. They modeled it. Number two, my parents expected it. We knew, they knew what we stood for. Number three, they gave us opportunities to do good or give back or it wasn't just about getting, it was about giving. So we saw ourselves as people who could do good and it became us. Oh my God, I love, I love that. And you know what's funny as you're talking, what I'm thinking is sometimes when I talk to families about this, what happens, I don't know if you see this too, is that if you say, well, what are your values that you really want to share with your family? They'll list a whole bunch. Yes. And I'll say, that all sounds great, but we can't be five, seven, or nine amazing things at one time. That's too much to teach. You have to narrow it down, you know, to about three. And people have a hard time with that. Do you find that too? Yes. But I say it's so much simpler if you come down to just three or two. One, for instance, you can take character traits of what are the two that matter most. One of them could be a moral side that's going to help you relate to others like, I want my kid to be kind or honest. The other side is that going to help you in work performance. Like I want him to persevere or have a strong work ethic. Those two are going to balance your kid. So he's got what he needs in order to thrive. But the key is figure out what matters most to you. I don't care what it is, but figure out something. And maybe your question is pretend you're at a family reunion. It's 40 years from now and you're eavesdropping on your kids. How are they remembering your family? Do your values come up? You know, there's no rewind button on parenting. And this is one of the simplest ways to tune up a kid who thrives, figure out what you stand for and do what the Perlin family did. Just keep repeating it till they become it. Yeah, there's no rewind button on parenting, you know, makes. And so it's a good motivator, though, that this is it. I'm in it. it. It's happening now. And I can't go back. That's all I can do is focus like right now, this afternoon. That's what I can focus on when I get them from school. Exactly, exactly. And don't make it so hard or your kids will never let you read another book again. Figure out one strategy that you like, commit to it, pass it on. You know, the other thing is put it on your daily agenda. A simple hint, ask your most verbal kid to be your reminder. Mom, are supposed to be practicing that one plus two, you know, breathing. They never let you down every day, 10 o'clock, mom. And it'll finally become a habit. I love that. Um, okay. Were there still a couple more essential character traits? Simple ones. Number five is curiosity, which blew me away. But here's the reason why. Thrivers seem to be out-of-the-box thinkers. It's not that they're the most creative little geniuses in the world, but they're open to ideas and possibilities. They're problem solvers. And as a result, 
when the bump comes in the road, they're not the kid who goes, I can't figure out any way around it. They go, okay, what am I going to do instead? That child becomes that curious little thinker because he's got a sense of agency. His parent along the way doesn't give him the answers when he comes in screaming and yelling or crying or hoping, oh, mom, she's just simply, or he, daddy says, so what's the problem? What can you do differently next time? Or they brainstorm together. I, I love the, the skills that are in the curiosity element because what I did was figure out the seven strengths. And then I looked at all the research of what are the three most highly correlated teachable skills that we can do to boost that strength? Curiosity. We got curious little two-year-olds. They have this wonderful sense of wonder and they start to become risk averse and worry about, am I saying the right thing already by the age of five? We want deeper thinkers because they can handle life without as well. I love that. And yeah, people think curiosity sounds uh, so basic, but I just say, you know, in order for your kids to be curious, they also have to be comfortable and you do as well with them being bored because that's where oh. curiosity is born, right? Out of boredom. Yes, we got to help them enjoy their own company and they, they can't do, I'm going to do this, 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 this for them. So after you've got curiosity and you've got some of those other ones, number six is perseverance. That's a kid who doesn't quit, who keeps on going and doesn't need gold stars and a trophy to do it. He just loves it and keeps moving with it. The simplest idea on that one, of course, is Carol Dweck. Don't praise the end product of what you get. Instead, praise their effort or retailer it so that every little thing is a gain. Yesterday you were here, today you're here, you're one step more. So kids have this growth mindset that they realize that success isn't fixed, it's just how hard you work. Many parents are trying to jump to perseverance and I think that's a mistake. You've gotta have like self-control or the focusing ability or knowledge of your strengths so you can persevere. And when you do, you finally get to number seven, the one everybody in the world needs right now, which is optimism or hope. And if you don't have optimism or hope, what happens is you become pessimistic and then it erodes your mental health because you begin to think it's not worth it. Or you begin to think it's not just one little negative comment, but pessimism is pervasive and permanent. And that is deadly to a child's mental health and well-being. Lots of things you can do on optimism. Make sure you're modeling it yourself. Another one is just chunk the fear. The CDC warns us that our kids are scared to death to go outside right now. I'm going to catch the virus. If your kid is one of those, then chunk it into little parts and go, okay, thank you for telling me you're worried. Don't try to talk them out of it. It's impossible. But instead, let's open the window today. Oh, you're okay today. Now let's open the door and put your foot out. Okay, you're doing better. Keep chunking the fear into little, little manageable dosages till it gets to the mailbox, gets in the car, gets back to life and he realizes, I got this. Yeah, I love that example you gave because right now there is such a shortage of mental health workers and um, people are trying to get into counseling and they and those are the kinds of tips that we're going to tell parents to do. And so I, I always think there's sometimes where there's things that we're going to tell them to do that you can just do yourself. Trust yourself, you know, baby yes. steps, work on yes. those things because that's just such an easy, actionable thing. Yeah, and that's fear of, um, pretty much almost anything. You just chunk it up like that. Little little steps with love and patience though. Oh, you know. yes. Calmness, patience, love. And what you're doing is shrinking the child's worries so that anxiety doesn't build and that stress doesn't build. Heaven's sakes, the last thing you could always do is get back to that mantra 
Maybe it's a family mantra. We got this. We can get through it. We're strong together. And keep saying it. Because what, what it'll do after a while is it'll help the kid negate the negative. So when that negative voice comes in, he's got an ability to talk back to it. That's what you want. You don't want to raise a Pollyanna. This isn't what it's all about. You got to have a kid with who's got a reality check. But you also have to have a kid who's got the skills to say, I got an openness. There's hope out there. I can get through this. And those are all little skills that you've taught and modeled. So you raise a thriver. I love it. I love it. You, you've covered all seven, right? That was number seven. That's it. That's seven. Oh, so much goodness here. I know I have like one minute left with you. And I want to know what your thoughts are around character education programs in schools. How do you think they're doing? How do you think they could be even better? Because I do feel like the school is an important partner in raising these kinds of thrivers. I love character education programs. If they're real, they're practical, and they weave it into the lesson. You're teaching the Holocaust. For heaven's sakes, that's a fabulous way to teach tolerance and respect and you know empathy. You're reading To Kill a Mockingbird. How incredible to talk about empathy and Atticus Finch right in that moment. We've got to really take a moment as parents in schools to work together as allies because we're going to get far better results. Coaches working with parents, coaches working with schools. We've, we really are at, a, at an unprecedented moment in our times when we may need to hit reset and go, it's up to us to, to widen the village and get on board together. Uh, even if it's the neighbor down the end of the street, you're far better off than doing it by yourself. Pass it on to grandma. You're far better off than trying to do it yourself. Schools are trying to do character. And I think it's critical, critical if it's done right. Great. Well, thank you. Is there anything else you feel like we just have to know before going out and buying your book, Thrivers? Oh, I think the bottom line is please keep in mind the Thrivers, once again, are made, not born. We can do this. And if you've got the mindset that now I'm going to intentionally raise a thriver, I don't care what it is. There, there's honestly, there's so many activities that are science-based in the book. Find one, keep working on it, and then pass it on. That's how we, you know, when they finally graduate, we're going to call them generation thrivers. What a cool thing that would be. Oh, I love that. Let's raise generation thrivers. We got to we got to get that going now, I feel like. Yeah. Thank you so much. It really was my pleasure and my honor to interview you. I've been following your work for many years. I've seen you speak live before. You're so um, engaging and a wealth full of knowledge. And um, I'm just really grateful today to get to speak to you. Thank you for writing this book. It's really a gift um, to the world. And um, I will look forward to seeing you continue to speak uh, to parents all over the world. And um, if you are listening right now, please rate, review, and subscribe this episode. And know that in on March 2nd, 2021, you are able to get Dr. Michelle Borba's book, Thrivers. Thanks for having, having uh, me interview you and being on as a guest. Thank you.